Welcome to another edition of What's New on Wagyu. We have decided today that we're going to go through our own embryo list we're posting. And I'm doing this with the uh, embryo guy himself, Mr. Sean. Hello. And we're going to cover these embryos fairly quickly because there's not a ton of different sires and donors. But we're going to go through them and explain why I made them and the purpose I made them for. And then we're going to talk about some other IVF stuff and some conventional stuff and uh, probably end with Sean's thought on the D4 cow that we brought back to his house today. So, okay. So first of all, we're going to have a little bit different group of cows uh, offered to you guys. I've never really gotten many D4 embryos for sale ever. We're going to offer three lots of these. One of the lots have already been purchased, all 30 embryos. They they were bought 10 minutes after my last podcast was released. Um, the right person knew really quickly. I am going to offer three MasterChef embryos by D4. We'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, I will not sell them for less than two grand, so don't even call, don't even ask. Uh, just the way it is. So now we've got that out of the way. Let's start off with 91D. So 91D is a... Um, Master Chef daughter. She is a very nice, long, broody cow. Um, and we paired her with uh, Tambo out of Australia, which is similar to, um, he's a really, really good Tamaru son because he doesn't decrease the marbling effect and he was good tempered. Uh, we went that route because I uh, most Tamaru sons I've been around are just terrible along with Sugamaru sons. That's why we don't use them in our process. Um, so I made sure that when we did use a, a bull like Tambo, that he had all the bits and pieces to make a really highly effective uh, calf that we weren't going to be fighting issues all the time with. So if you open up our embryo list, we are going from top to bottom. And if you would like, you can tie, you can hit on the hyperlink. I've designed a hyperlink for everyone to click on so that you can see the exact pedigrees plus how much it's going to cost you. So our average embryo in the sale is going to be 800 bucks, with our outliers all being $2,000. Those will be anything from Rusha or MasterChef. So the really cool thing about um, this, this animal, uh, in my opinion, is on the female side, it's a MasterChef by uh, Sumo Cattle Company, Sukiyaki Usu. So you're not going to see that very often. Um, he was imported not used a lot i finally found some more semen on him we're gonna have some direct ctiakus oh probably in the next couple months through embryos but they won't get sold we'll put them in and we'll sell them as live calves so uh, i dropped all of these cows most of these cows off today or they are currently living at sean's house um the the cow she is a nice cow she's broody she's long uh she isn't as deep as i would like to have seen her Coming from a master chef daughter, uh, yeah, being a master chef daughter. Um, what did you think when she hopped off the trailer? Um, <clears throat> I had a really quick glance at him <laughs> <laughs> as he walked him across the yard. Yeah, we were trying to sort him in between some other cows things, but um, I think they are. What we received today were all pretty. Uh, I use the word broody. Sometimes Sean calls them fat girls. <laughs> I didn't want to offend them. No, they they all have uh, they have plenty of flesh, but they're not they're not as fat as 
the Angus they got dropped off, but that's not saying much. But <laughs> gee, but they, they, they. Uh, <clears throat> some of them have ability to have a little bit more depth to them, but they. Um, thing I like about the ones that we got dropped off is there's not a problem amongst them with handling. They're um, they're all very nice girls to to give shots to and in that regards. So like with Tam, this breeding, especially being Tambo's, the, the sire, what you get out of Tambo that you're not going to see in a lot of American breedings is when he was created, they, they took a bull called Coates big Al, which was really big at the time. It's probably been about eight, nine years ago in Australia. And he's a big Al by a Shugmaru daughter on top of an import Japanese red cow. And if you ever know what that means, that means it's an, a cow that never made it here. So, so his dam, um, yeah, his sire's dam was an import cow that didn't come to the States also. So that's the only way you can get into this cow line is, is to buy, well, buy Tambo or something else like that. Um, I did get the opportunity to import some of the semen from Coates Big Al. Uh, in our current importation that we're doing uh, currently. I'm going to be really excited because he's also the sire of Recital, which is a bull that I've, like, the only bull that we retained this year is a Recital son. So it's kind of cool. Like, it's a it's a very unique, hard to find. It, it's, you're, you're going into there, like, as hard as finding MasterChef or Katsukari now. Um, but as another step in hardness, because they there's so little export eligible. And that's the big advantage with this breeding is you're getting one of the few Tamaru grandsons that do not have a ton of problems. Like temperament-wise, uh, he still has enough power on his female side to, to produce a decent amount of marbling. And, and you're not going to get stuck with a bull that you, you can't use on an F1 to build your marbling profiles. So that, that's really the big thing uh, with that one. We that then we're, we're going to move down to the to the cool cow, the forty seven A cow, which is also called the judo cow a lot on here. Um, she's really cool, and we've bred her to a couple animals. Recital. Uh, this is the same mating as the bull we're retaining this year as a herd sire. So anybody who, if you really want to get on the cutting edge of the of the red wagyu game, this is the flush that you'd want to look at because if we're going to retain one. That says something because I'm very strict and very in-depth on making sure cattle are good. So if I'm willing to retain one of our own animals, it, that means we can't ever use him back in the same pen as her or her daughter. So for us, it's it's hard sometimes for us to retain out of our herd bull pen. Well, what I've noticed with recital is uh, we've paired that animal, that bull, with several um other side or, or other dams that hold on a quick second here we got to turn off this cool fan <laughs> perfect we're back we're back sorry so we've uh <clears throat> that recital i've noticed in several matings that uh it's been spread across other dams and um I, i've just noticed your excitement in using him on several of these other other cows and uh, I specifically remember using it on 47A multiple times. It's, I think we flushed with it two or three different times to recital. And 47A, uh, there's a big important thing with this cow. She is extremely fertile, and she drops a, 
um, good quantity of embryos every time we've we've ran her through a flush. Yes. And and that's one thing, guys. If you're starting to build an animal, you want to build an animal that has female fertility because it's inherently one of the biggest things that can be inherited from the female side of the genetic pedigree. So by doing this, you're getting yourself an opportunity to get into a, to a breeding that's not only a state of the art cutting edge right now, but you're giving yourself an animal that you're going to down the road, have good collections on in theory, like nothing's perfect, but in theory, if done, if everything works like it's supposed to, you're getting an animal that has the ability to create 15 plus embryos and and that is a cow that has done that if i remember right she's usually in the 20s 20s to 30s we have a we had a 41 that's uh but and i tell people and me and sean have talked about this online on this multiple times the big flushes are cool but they're not they're not the common flush and i tell people i go i like to have a cow that's going to be somewhere between 15 and 20 and Sean tells me that's way above the expectation all the time. Double. <laughs> double. That's double expectation. <laughs> but what we've done is, is I've got enough knowledge and I've got enough skill in breeding that we've found the right lines, we've mixed them together, and we have across our entire donor group a group of cows that give us somewhere in that range of 15 to 20 embryos a flush. And, and that's what keeps your costs low. That allows you to, um, if you're looking at a flush, you're... Um, most places they charge like a base fee and then there's just so much an embryo. So if you can get those, that base fee across more embryos, you're going to have a, a lower cost of production and be able to have an opportunity to make some money. And the other thing too, guys, is that these are conventional embryos. We're not doing IVF embryos on these. I do have some IVF embryos on the list and I will mark them out for you, but these are all conventionally flushed. So it's not like we're, putting a bunch in a dish and putting semen on them, we're, we're conventionally flushing them. So, and, and I like to tell people, if you can find conventional embryos, those are the ones you want to get because you're probably going to get about twice the conception rate that you're going to get on those IVF. So instead of getting one out of three, you're going to get two out of three, which is going to make a big difference on calves on the ground. And so everybody's aware, like, so this is the first time we've let any of our core donor cows out in embryo purchase, really. We've sold some here and there, but it's never been at this level. And the reason is, is that I'm tired of watching people buy embryos and buying cattle and then having to come to me in two years after they find out it's not, they don't have what they want. So I'm just going to start offering things that you would want up front and, and, and cut, cut to the chase of it. Right. Cause I'd rather you come back and buy stuff from me every year rather than having to come find me and then have to getting on our list and then me working our way down to get you in something. So if you're already buying stuff from us, you already get to get our email and our invoice. If we're gonna we're gonna send anything out, you know, if we're gonna sell something, the people who buy regularly, I have an email list. I send it out. Hey, we're gonna sell this cow. Is anybody interested? So it gives you really a, a foot in the door on some of those cool things because we have stuff that you're never gonna see anywhere else. So, and, and it's taken years and time to do this. So the next 47A lot we're going to let, we're going to let go is some chubby buddy by 47A. And if you notice, there's going to be a large sire link in their grandsire, and it's all going to be the sumo kato sikiyaku. He's a great bull. He makes great bulls. We've just never had the opportunity to have him. So we had to use sons to get that pedigree. 
It's like everybody doesn't realize why MasterChef's so important. It's not because of his of his dam. It's because his his sire is Kajakari. Kajakari is probably the best Hakari son that's ever been created because he was bred to Yume. So we buy MasterChef. We got into MasterChef not because it was MasterChef. We got into MasterChef because that was the only way I could get Kajakari because he's non-exportable out of Australia. They never made export semen on the bull. So people need to like think through some of these things and ask questions like, why is this bull so good? Well, it's hard to get, as we've talked about, everyone goes back to the original imports and it, diversification i mean that's sometimes that's all you can get is the right the son of not the actual bull itself so well and the other thing too guys you know the the cost of original import semen's getting to the point now that i i wouldn't buy it today i bought it when it was cheap but i wouldn't spend the money that you guys are spending today on this semen there's no way i'd spend 20 grand on a straw rusha there is not a chance in this world and that brings me to the next lot uh, 47A by Rusha. This is another one of the specialty lots. They'll be two grand a piece. <clears throat> Here's why. We put them in. We sold a heifer. We've sold a bull calf. Bull, they're yearlings. We've sold them both for $20,000. So the fifteen dollars to $20,000 range for them is not out of the question. We know it's possible. I spent fourteen grand on the one I had before we bought the mom. So, so I know what the value of them are. If you don't want to pay two grand a piece, I don't really care. But the reality is these calves are going to be worth somewhere between 15 and 20 grand, depending on who you are and how well your marketing is. If you want to just get rid of them, put 15 K on there. Somebody will come by and pick them up and you're gone. Like that's the reality of it. So I'm not going to try to sell you on them, but think about the reason why somebody would price an embryo at two grand. It's not just because we want to. And we got our semen when it was cheap, so it's not we're trying to recoup any semen cost. It's what these animals are worth. And I'm willing to give you an opportunity, if you want to buy some, to buy some at two grand. But I'm not going to sell them any cheaper. I've bought Angus embryos at two grand. So th this is not out of the question. It's not out of line. It's what it is. Well, and most of these embryos on this list, price-wise, are you're getting a deal. It's a, oh, yeah. it's a bargain. Yeah, I could I could price most of these at double that we have them for. Like like I said, they're going to be eight hundred dollars except for three lots. <laughs> That's it. Everything else is eight hundred bucks. And the reason I did this, me and me and Sean talked about this a little bit one day. I go, a lot of people struggle to pay a thousand dollars an embryo. But I found that eight hundred dollars seems to be a good spot where everybody can be it's still affordable for people. And that the calf is going to be worth far more, no matter whether it's a bull or a heifer, than what the people paid to get the embryos. So at 800 bucks times three, right? You're, you're not even two grand into that, into that calf. You're just over two grand. Sorry. But, you know, you're 1600 for the first two. So you're, third, yeah, you're, 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 you're in a good spot. Because you got to pay to have them shipped to you. So yeah. whatever that costs you. So some people are cheaper at that than others. Some people come pick them up, whatever you want to do. But I want you to remember that these are all embryos that we've put in. We've verified. We made sure they worked. We've made sure that out of the lot we've put them in so that we've got a relative conception rate on them. I'm offering these to help everyone out in the industry and hopefully 
down the road, I can just have a yearly sale. Everybody comes out to Idaho and hangs out and we have a sale. That's really what I'd like to do at some point in time. Hopefully it's during the warm months. We're going to do it like in August. (laughs) (laughs) Right when everyone's harvesting something. Yeah, yeah, right when we're all trying to harvest. We'll probably have to do it in like July right after the fourth, right after the third crop. Second Second crop. crop. Second crop, yeah, right after. It'd be perfect time because we're usually done by the fourth of July. For second? No. But I was going to say, we're, that's our first crop. <laughs> we're, we're, we're done enough that we're not cutting yet. So oh, yeah. it's, a good, it's a good break time. It's like when anybody leaves around here. So that, again, like the final, like I said, the 47A by Rusha, it's a judo daughter with a Rusha sire. So just in semen, say you take the running average right now, which has been about $16,000 a straw on most sales for Rusha, and about four to $5,000 on judo, you have covered your semen costs just and you didn't have to mix them together and find a way to make this mating so and and she's been a, they've both been you know good for us we've had great results we actually retained arusha judo again like like these are animals all these embryos we've retained something from minus the chubby buddy embryos because they can never get a retained one because everybody always buys them so so now we're moving to the next cow, the 20F cow. And this is the one that's been living here at Sean's the longest. Yep. <laughs> uh, Temperament-wise, how's she been? Uh, she is... <clears throat> I don't remember what the name you called her, but I, I call her Moaning Myrtle. Yeah. Um, from Harry Potter. I think, I think her tag says Molly. Is, Pretty is sure. Molly? I don't know. I, I don't look at that one. She's not a home cow. <laughs> yeah. she She's really funny. She... Goes around, moans about everything, <laughs> and then just stands there and takes it. Yeah. It, it's just, she has to do it. Like, that's her sucking on her binky or sucking on a blanket. And, and she's always been like that. Like, you get her in the squeeze chute to vaccinate her, and she does the same thing to us. Yeah. She, she's just kind of a noisy cow, but, I mean, it's not, she's not bellering. She's not thrashing around, but quite often we give her shots we just kind of corner her between two cows and give her shots and away she goes. So she knows like, this is my spot. Once I get there, they do their thing and I can, I leave. Nice. So th- there's a few things about this cow that I've, I've loved and I've not loved. And I'm going to tell you both of them. Some of the things I've really loved about this cow is that she's like, she's a pretty dark cow, like dark red. She's a beautiful cow. She's got good phenotypes. She's got amazing feet. The downside to her sometimes is that I feel like as she walks away from us that she doesn't always have the best, the best, I don't know what's the right word. She's just not big enough framed for me. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. She's kind of a moderate frame. So this is why. She is an A5 by JC Rusha 92. And I, I know where the A1 cow is now down, down at Eric's house. And she is four times the cow. If, if you had an opportunity to buy A1 embryos and A5 embryos, I would never buy A5 embryos again. The cow, the calves were just not the same. They were not as good. And uh, just to let you know, we have an A1 daughter, similar breed, or an A5, yeah, an A1 daughter, similar breeding to, to the 20F cow in the embryo list below. So... I've had them side by side most of their life. I know what they are. I just, she's just not as. So if, if you were to mix the two, you have the Ferrari in a one 
And then in A5, you got the F-150. She's just utility. She's a good utility cow. She's never going to be great. She's never going to be poor, but she's just going to run for you every day and continue forward. And there's nothing wrong with that. So what we did to make her a better animal is we matched her to to um, the cow, the forty seven A cows, flush brother, and we did it on purpose. So, again, here's an opportunity if you would like to get a judo sired son in your pedigree that isn't going to lose size or frame or shape because he'll be in third position, and you don't have a temperament issue because we we already verified that before we bought the semen. Um, this is the opportunity to really have something cool from judo with not having to have the disadvantages of the ultra small frame of judo. But I wish we would have used him on a, the, the A1 daughter, which is coming up versus this cow. Cause then I might've gone really extreme, like D4 extreme, but I'm not sure. But I will tell you, you know, she, she is an A5 by 92. It's a good solid breeding. It's a very phenotypical breeding. You, you're going to get a pretty animal out of it. But you're not going to get a lot of just high-powered performance out of her. Matt, matching her with this bull, on the other hand, he's a performance bull. And that's why we used him. And, and you're going to find a theme with what we breed 20F to is we went to performance bulls that are going to give her some size, some length, and some depth. So the next one is another bull, is, is another bull that not anybody's going to really recognize. It's called a Kikamaru. Uh, a Kikamaru is A1 and A5's half-brother, same sire, Klinger Redstar, different mother. So a Kikamaru is also the D4 cow's mom's flush brother. So... Can you see a trend yet? High performance cow in D4. So D4, so her her mom's flush brother, right? Akikamaru. So her mom bred to 92, gave me D4. So we took the other side of that breeding, the 92, onto A5 and kicked it all the way back to Akikamaru so that we could get a double shot of Klinger Red Star in there and to hopefully fix some of her flaws in, in size. Kind of one of those weird matings that not everybody gets the opportunity to make, but we get to make it around here because we have the cow. So uh, how does that uh, translate into uh, inbreeding? So her inbreeding coefficient on this one is not terrible. Like it's not going to be like off the charts good, but it's not terrible either. I'm pulling it up real quick. I usually have that up. Uh, it's it's So the last one was a six. So this one's going to be, it's probably going to push us, I would say, close to 2.5, 25%. But I'll tell you in just one second as it pulls up. <laughs> um, so so here's the thing, guys. Kikamaru is such limited semen because he didn't live long and he had an accident. So the semen's so limited, there's very few people that even have contact with the people who need who have it. And I've, I, I have almost all of it. I think I have all of it now in the tank. I think there's like 300 straws left and that's it. So it pushes our breeding coefficient uh, to sixteen point five percent. So, okay, that's it's a fairly low inbreeding coefficient. Yeah, um, a lot of people get freaked out by it, but uh, I've gone all the way up to like thirty or forty and never had problem. So, okay. 
But at 16.5, it's really nice because now you've line bred in Klinger Red Star, which is a hard sire to get a hold of to start with. So I don't know if anybody realizes what the theory of line breeding is. You take the things you like and you mix them together and hopefully you get the things you like. That's the theory, right? You want to get certain lines multiple times in your pedigree. Sometimes you get really good results. Sometimes you get really poor results. It just depends on the shake of the dice. And hopefully you're getting rid of those uh, that you're beefing. Right. Not, not getting rid of, beefing. Right. Calling out, getting sending them to the feedlot on those ones that don't match up. Right. Correct, correct. And and if they're not matching up, guys, just, just kill them and eat them. Even if they're a heifer or a bull, just kill them and eat them. The, the, Sean has realized now after hanging out with us long enough that we make the same money on the beef as we do on the cows that, that make it. Like they make the same amount of money for you. So there's nothing wrong with making something into a hamburger or a New York strip. It's all about marketing. It's all about marketing and your willingness to be out there and let people know that you have a good quality product and do things the right way. So, so the next uh, bull we matched her to was Master Chef. So, if I need to explain Master Chef one more time, um, we've got some problems. <laughs> so, <laughs> we bred it, we bred her to Master Chef because she really does need some length, and, and he'll give me some length. He'll also give me some depth. I will tell you guys though, Master Chef will do something terrible to you if you are breeding him to bad cows. He will show you every flaw you have and he will enhance it. Not in a good way either. Like it'd be like taking a magnifying glass over a small word. He's just going to make it worse. So everybody's clear. Master chef isn't a magic wand that saves things. You breed him to good cows. You will get good results. You breed him to poor cows. You're going to not like your life because you're going to have a, if you have a cow that's not very put together well or she's really short ribbed you're gonna get a weird looking animal with a long hip length and a short rib and it's not gonna be good and everybody's gonna be mad and then blame the bull when in reality it was the person who bred him so the final bull we used on her was red emperor so red emperor is a great big owl son he is a big owl by die eight so he brings in all the marbling you'll ever want just genetically but Red Emperor, we've killed a lot of Red Emperor calves. And the one thing that I can tell you is he will inject a lot of marbling, but we have to watch him because he will screw up your ribeyes and your New Yorks in the shape and size. He makes your new, your ribeyes look like a circle and your New Yorks look like a wiener dog almost, like a tailed off. It, it's not great. So that's why we need we need a wide ribbed cow. And luckily this cow is wide enough ribbed that I felt it was okay. Uh it, and here's the thing. So I've sold almost all my Red Emperor embryos. And the people who've bought other ones, um, I had to tell them they couldn't buy these ones. Because I already pulled 30-some-odd off this list because of them wanting them. So if they they're want to... the corner of the market. They, they are. They know, and they know what they're getting. So that they, that's why they've bought the ones they've bought. So I did tell them that five days after I post this, if they're still available, they can have them. So it gives everybody an opportunity, but just so you know, they will be bought in five days, whether it's you or someone else. Um, so then we went to the D15 cow. The D15 cow is an A1 by JC Rusha 92. Um, hold on one second, because he could, she could be a 75. Sometimes these are slow to pick up, uh, but yeah, it is what it is. Nope, 92 by A1, D15. So um, it is another 92 daughter on top of A1 
So now you're getting the Ferrari of the two, and we've put them together. So then we took the Ferrari and we bred it back to 47s. 40, yeah, 47A, the Rucha Judo Cow, or the Judo Cow. We bred that back to her flesh brother. Okay. Yeah, so so we're trying to make them bigger. We're trying to make them better. And this one is kind of hard to make bigger and better. So we had to be very specific with the breedings we made for improvement. And now I look back at it, we probably should have bred her to Master Chef, but we just didn't get that done. Yeah, there's still time. She yeah, just she, showed up. Well, she just showed up at your house. So, <laughs> um, so the next thing we have in D15's lineup is another Tambo mating. I... And as you, like I will tell you right now, if you see multiple matings, that means we like the sire for some reason or another. Like we don't, if we have a problem with the sire, we don't continue to breed them. Like I will walk outside and throw a whole cane of semen out on the, on the ground if I don't like the sire. Like it, I don't care what I paid for it. If it is a pile of junk, it's going out on the semen. The semen's going out on the floor. So the ones you see we're using multiple times, there's a reason for it. Well... The ones that I've seen a lot of are like the ones we've been talking about here. The Tambo, the Recital, the... The Kikumarus, Red Emperors. Yeah, the Red Emperors, the Red Stars. The um, th There's been a lot of those that it, they've been mixed and matched on different dams on in different times. But um, there's been a lot of consistency in, in that, in finding that. And I will tell you right now, Sean has seen probably more MasterChef embryos than probably any embryologist in the country. I'll tell you right now. I probably put more in my cow, own cows. Than <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's probably put poorer in his own cows than you guys will ever get the opportunity to see. The reality is, we talked about it last week. Um, the, the truth of the matter is, is I've been a Master Chef guy before Master Chef was cool, and I have a very specific mating that I love because it gives me four extra ribeyes. And for anybody who doesn't understand that, I need you to think about this. We sell ribeyes for about $150 a piece. So I'm getting an extra $300 per side on our carcasses. And if you can't figure out how we pencil that one out, it's pretty it's pretty easy. And I also want to remember, because the ribeye is longer, we get more tenderloin. Well, and the animal overall is a little bit right larger. So you're not just getting four ribeyes, you're getting a little bit more... Of everything. Of everything. And and the other thing is, is I can sell mo any any of these master chef calves to a commercial cattleman for ten or fifteen grand because they were gonna buy a ten or fifteen thousand dollar Angus bull anyway. Like it's a very specific commercial cattle guy, but they are now coming to us on our master chef calves by D four because they're put together like a real beef cow. And they marble because of the D four cow. So We've built a, a product in the D4 cow that almost no one's been able to catch us on yet. So I've got people thinking that some of these carcasses are, are black wagyu carcasses when they come and walk into the cooler because of how marbled they are. So I've got a, a new person that I've been talking to quite a bit that's been struggling a lot because he, he was buying a bunch of bulls and found out that not all Wagyu bulls, especially red Wagyu bulls are the same. He's having a hard time getting his F1s to grade and he's going to come and see us in a couple weeks and I'm going to try to con him into coming on a podcast and kind of relaying his story with this because they've spent a lot of, they, they were, they bought like 50 bulls at this point. And now 
they're going back and ultrasounding them and finding out all these bulls from a couple breeders down in Texas that are quite large and well-known that these bulls don't even marble. Oh, it goes back to know what you're getting. Know what you're getting, right? Well, and I, I just like to comment on these this D4, and we had her daughter also show up today. And I was just looking at them in the shoot because we were just checking them out, making sure they were good to go. And they look very impressive standing side by side in the shoot. Um, we have a dual, kind of a dual chambered breeding box shoot. So it they, they were both in the barn at the exact same time. You could look at one, walk behind the other and look at them and, they look very nice on the very eye, appealing to the eye, and and you're and you're looking at a five year old cow and a three year old cow. Yeah, and they look very similar to one another. And it's getting to the point that I go out in the field. I was telling Sean, um, if I don't see the D 4s yellow ear tag, I can't tell the difference from from a small distance. Yeah, and her daughter lost her ear tag, so it's kind of like, oh, <laughs> what, what, which one's that again? And, yeah, yeah, she'll have a new laser cut ear tag in a week or so. We have to order them in. So the other cool part about this is is we've not only bred um, the D15 cow with uh, the Judo 46 uh, flush brother, but we used Tambo and a Kikamaru again. So if you want to really get some Kikamaru, some real push, here's your chance. Again, we uh, it's the same Kikamaru that we used on 20F. So if you wanted to do your own test, you could buy some 20F embryos and some D15 embryos and see if you like the A1 cow or the A5 cow better. Is a good opportunity for someone if they really wanted to test it out. Yeah, it'd be fun. So now we're going to get into the only three IVF embryos or sets of embryos that I have. They're all from the A1 cow. She is so big and broody and beautiful that I had to have some. And these are the ones that I'm going to be willing to let go. And I told, I, I struggled over this because we had her and then Eric has her now. Um, I had a different breeding plan than Eric does. So we're doing some different things, but these are the embryos that I'm willing to let go. So here they are. The first one, A1 by Red Emperor. Imagine that. Imagine me breeding her to a Red Emperor. <laughs> A1 by Rusha 75. So Rusha 75, everybody knows that, that he was reportedly sold for 500,000. The semen's pretty much walked itself off of the face of the earth. I'm glad I bought some well before, back when Dez owned him. Um, these, these are going to be good calves. I will put a caveat on this. One problem I have had through almost every Rusha 75 calf I have ever had is they bounce up to that 90 plus pound birth weight. It seems like Umbles heifers have always been in a good, you know, 60 to 80 pound range. But for some reason, any bull I've ever had born from Rusha 75, and it doesn't matter what I breed him to. They just are big. So make sure if you're going to do this, don't put it in a set of heifers, please. Put it in a good cow that can burr the calf that's roughly 90 pounds. Holstein. Holstein. <laughs> yeah, but, but or, or whatever else you got, right? But just don't put it in yeah. heifers, guys. Yeah. Like, like I'm, I'm telling you this up front. I just don't want to see somebody have a train wreck. But they turn out to be very, very beautiful calves. Like, I know that I think Chris Apple has a couple down in, down in Texas. And, and they're beautiful cows. They're beautiful calves. They, they make a good maternal animal. She's giving us about 17. She gave me about 17 embryos uh, every other week in IVF collection. Like, you know, that, that's just what she was. Eric has her now, and I think he's managing her a little differently. Um, 
and it's working. It's working for him. He's getting the numbers that we that we should see in these animals. So, for those who don't know, maybe explain why these are IVF embryos. So, A1 has had some problems throughout her life. She's she's never she she had an early problem with IVF. <laughs> <laughs> and we got some scarring uh, back, what, what was it, 10 years ago or so, Sean, the IVF thing got big around here. Yeah. Um, and like everyone else, we decided that we wanted to jump on the bandwagon and we had um, some scarring done to fallopian tube. Back the, when they used to do IVF, it's a lot different than it is now. Uh, they don't like, like back then they would like go all the way through the ovary to get things rather than flipping it back and forth. And it had to do with some technician that maybe not was as delicate as it they could have been, but we ended up with some scarring. Um, so she has to be collected IVF. We can put an embryo in her and get her pregnant, but she's got just enough scarring that a conventional flush is just not uh, effective. Like we've done a couple and we got like two embryos. <laughs> so it's just better to run her IVF. Uh, there are downsides with IVF. Um, I'm not a huge fan, but when I, I I'm not going to lose the genetic value of the cow either. Yeah, there's sometimes, and I'm one to uh, admit that there is some animals that that is their best course of action is to to get done with the IVF. I have a cool black cow, seven six seven T. She was old as dirt. She'd been at Transover for a lot of years. A Lone Mountain owned her, like a few other major breeders owned her, and I got her at the end of her life, and. That's the only way we could have got embryos. And she's going to come home and uh, become cow food. So we're going to bring her home. She's actually to the point now where she is no longer capable, even through FSH, to produce embryos. So uh, we're going to bring her home Monday. Um, and Lane's going to probably kill her on Thursday. And we're going to take a ton of pictures and show everybody what a 17 year old cow looks like. That's been on some feed and, uh, sell some of her embryos that I've made probably and kind of move to our next set of genetics in the black world. So I will have a blacklist out in a week or two that we'll do the same thing on. Oh, good. So, so, uh, to finish up the, uh, a one, uh, a one by Tambo. So this is a very purpose built flush. Uh, I have had, we've seen one bull calf, A1 by Tambo, and he weaned at 746 pounds. And he was a goer, and he just was a great calf, so we would like to see some more of those. So that's that's really the reasoning. Now, to the best three lots in the entire game. I, with reluctancy, have decided that I'm going to release some D4 embryos. The first one is D4 by MasterChef. Um, it is a proven, solid, rock-solid breeding that we have made a lot of money on over the years and currently are still making a lot of money on because of the quality of the animals. I have a whole bunch of them coming. <laughs> <laughs> I've got, got some at my house right now. I've got some still in cows. Um, they're proven. So a lot of these guys that have master chef sons are going, Oh, I have a master chef son. That's this, this, and this. I have had multiple D four by master chef children. One of them is now in collection here at Sean's. The other one was a bull calf that we had a problem with. And it made me about sick because he was probably my favorite bull that I've retained ever. And, and it's really hard for me to retain a bull from D four because she is in every one of my pedigrees. So you have to think about how much this animal was a breed changer in order to be kept at our place. 
Because there's very few animals he can life cover. Good thing you got a few extra coming. Good, good thing I've got a few <laughs> extra coming. And 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 I've, the other two, the two I've got at home right now are beautiful. Like I think they will be as good as he was. But here's the deal: you mix, you know, as a bull, we killed him because he had a testicular issue that made him non-fertile. Not anything that like genetically was a problem, but it was a problem with breeding that that he got hurt. And as a bull, um, he had come off cows. We brought him home, and Lane killed him and put him at the butcher shop, and we actually gave him to the crew. Um, he was running BS, BMS-6s, and he weighed almost 2,200 pounds, and he'd been breeding cows for about two and a half months, three months. So he covered um, 84 head of F or Angus cows before he had a problem. So, yeah. Too bad he wasn't on the registered herd a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> I've got one calf. So one the calf. the calf that we'll retain for next year's, you know, the 2023 herd will be his son. Uh, back to my Rusha Judo cow. Because I get D4, I get Master Chef, I get Rusha and Judo all in one pedigree, all within three lines. And he is a beast. He's over 700 pounds. We weaned him today. <laughs> he's not happy his mother isn't either no 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 his mother's now here and he's down there and it's not a good thing but um he he again ex- excludes some some phenomenal traits because his dad was phenomenal so we'll see how he continues to go we're gonna wean him we're gonna get him halter broke we're gonna probably take it we've already pre-purchased into denver and to nally and to fort worth so we'll take him on the show circuit so that's kind of cool so we know this. We know this works. We know this works for, for three reasons. One, I've got a cow in here that's her daughter, grew, you know, Master Chef by by D four, that we're now collecting. Mm-hmm. I I have sold one collection ever offer, and they did great on on the animals they got out of it. Um, I've also I also know that they're going to work because of their meat quality. Because now we've killed one of the sons as a bull that. That fared phenomenally. He should have never been anywhere near that. And he wasn't baby. He was out breeding cows. And then the third reason is, is the D4 cow produces enough extra meat for me in our program that the commercial cattle guys love her. They come and look at her and and they want to buy something from her. So, yes, they're going to be two grand a piece, and I'm only selling three because Sean has to put a whole bunch more in for me, and I don't want to have to keep making a bunch. But the, (laughs) the D4 cow has one other big benefit. She is an extremely fertile cow. And she's been able to run some long collection cycles for us here and still put out that 15 to 20 embryo count. The only time we ever have problems is when I buy bad semen. Yeah. And it's not that we don't have the oocytes. It's that we just don't have any fertility. Yeah. There's nothing fertilized on them. But she still gives us plenty. Yeah. (laughs) It's kind of a bummer of a day. You pull out 25 oocytes and you're like... Ah, oh, none of them are fertilized. Right, <laughs> and and Sean's really the reason I'm continuing to flush her. To be honest <clears throat> with you, uh, Sean had to sit me down one day and have a conversation with me about furthering genetic progress because I was going to go send her out to the to the pasture and let her be a cow for the next for the rest of her life. Yeah, <laughs> I was trying to push it so that you guys had the opportunity to to get some of these genetics to to help out other breeders. Right, because the only way that animals like this get out there is having an embryo cell and letting some of these, you know, the daughters go and um, making some, some good improvements in the breed. And, and I'll have another one of her daughters for sale this fall. 
uh, just so everybody's aware. It's um, Heart Brand Red Emperor. Or no, it is a Big Al on top of JBP30E on top of the D4 cow. So it's kind of a cool breeding. Um, her name's Lady Godiva. She's a great calf. <laughs> but she's she's just so bred to everything in her herd that I need to I need to send her down the road. I am going to collect her a couple times before we send her down the road, but that's just something I want done so I don't have to retain some ownership in this cow. Uh, I've found that people kind of hate that a little bit when I retain ownership, at least some flesh ownership. So if I get my fleshes out of the way, it's not a big deal. Well, and if you get to another place, does that cow end up tangled up in some barbed wire and right. upside down and dead? And, that, and, that's no collection. The, and that's the reason. That is the reason we, we did it. Yeah. So uh, the other D4 uh, embryos that were available for about four and a half seconds were to Red Emperor. <laughs> <laughs> and one, I will tell you, uh, one person bought all of them. I'll, I'll just be honest about it. She bought every single one of them. And she gave me more than the asking price that's on the list. So <laughs> uh, she knew what they're worth and I was being generous. So she said that if I'd let her have all of them, because I wasn't going to let her that she'd buy them for a grand a piece. So I let her. <laughs> and then finally, I'm going to release um, probably three to 10 Kalinga Red Star D4s. I've got to see how many we have left. <laughs> <laughs> got to go look at the tank. I got to look at the tank. Uh, and that's the reality because they've been up here at Sean's because he put some in for me. So that'll be fun. <laughs> yep. Oh yeah, there was on my list to put in. Yep, they were. <laughs> so I forgot about that list. I haven't been putting anything in because uh, East Idaho's had a horrible winter. <sighs> I, I think all of Rocky Mountain, pretty much area. the Pacific Northwest, has had Pacific, a ter- yeah had a terrible winter. And and I just hear from one guy after another that the death loss is crazy. They're you know twenties, thirty percent. They're just you know they. I heard from a guy today his bull cell wasn't didn't go so great. It's probably the worst bull cell they've had, but he just thinks that everyone was uh, – they had it in March. He thinks everyone was just sitting at home trying to keep calves alive and weren't able to go out and right. buy bulls. Right. Year. Well, no, ain't nobody got any money either. So everybody's retaining <clears throat> bulls from last year. Yeah, they're just – and it's just the sad facts of, of owning a, a beef herd in this area or in the Pacific Northwest and – which is going to push beef prices up higher. The demand's going to be higher for next year. So here's the other thing, guys. Um, just just for a fair warning to everyone, um, I've already bought all of Sean's open cows recipped uteruses. So don't even call and ask. <laughs> I've already circled the wagons. <laughs> but the reality is, is it's nice to have someone that I work with all the time. Like I talk to Sean most days. So, yeah. and, and he tells me, he, he, and you can tell like when we had a couple of calves, not, you know, not make the birthing process. It's just part of the deal. Sean called me. He's like, I got some bad news. <laughs> yeah. I, I hate delivering bad news. I, I should have known it was going to be a problem when they were born seven days before the cows due date. Right. And they're supposed to be 10 days after. So, and that's something people need to keep in mind. I told Sean this after we lost the first one. I'm like, oh yeah, that thing's probably really preemie. He's like, what? I'm like, on average, my Wagyu, red Wagyu embryos are 10 days late. On average. And I think we were fairly close on almost all of them that made it to the ones that did really well, all made it to about that 10 days after, and then they were ready to go. Yeah. Well, and I, I've been thinking about it. There was kind of a, a good, bad, and ugly of 
maybe this is after the list, but um, kind of a give you my perspective on oh, putting we're, these embryos we're, in. We're done at the end of the list because that was the last lot. So there you guys go. <laughs> we'll continue forward. Okay. Um, so I, I've been thinking about this on a recip side, the kind of the good, the bad, the ugly. Yeah. Um, so without going into numbers too much, but we did have one right there at the very beginning. Um, I already had my hired guy looking for calves and uh, I was gone that day, but he had like checked on the cows and then went in and cleaned the barn for an hour and a half and then came back out. And that was the very first one that it was already. So he was gone for an hour and a half. He said it was all warm. He tried to yeah, get along. He said nothing doing. Um, then we had another one that, out of a heifer, just yeah, nothing you can do about it. Born dead, just it was early, a little bit premature, and so I was oh, before all that was even more. We had one that had a late term right. pregnancy abortion, and so we were. I, I was already <laughs> thinking. I'm like, man, we're down, we're down three, down three, <laughs> and we haven't even gotten started, and he doesn't even have a live calf yet, and yeah. um, but then we. We started having some success. We had some calves born, and we went right down right the middle, 50-50. We'd have a bull. The next day, we'd have a heifer. The yep. next day, we have a bull, and just carried on like that. Um, we had a really great-looking, beautiful, big heifer. Um, she ended up having encephalitis. Yeah. Uh, she was real big, and I think that was some of the problem, why she was so big. Yeah. Like I, I took a picture of her sitting next to the bull that came the next day. Yeah. And she is about four inches taller and Yeah, and she was mid nineties on weight too. So that that was my first clue that we had a problem. Yeah. And had some issues and ended up having to yep. put her down because that again, that's one of those that there's a genetic issue that it's one of those one in ten thousand, one in yep. whatever odds you don't want to keep that around and have to deal with that well and, and with encephalitis it continues it consistently gets worse until they're paralyzed and they can't move so it's one of those deals that the vet did everything he needed to 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 document the issue and then we made the decision that it wasn't worth the watching the calf wither away and die because of uh terminal illness yeah and it's a genetic yep it can be passed on so we want to remove those genetics from the and it's a genetic anomaly, right? And it doesn't mean that either cow has it or a carrier for it. It, it just happened. It was the it's gene. A that, yep, it's a mutation that popped up. So there's no reason to keep that calf. Yeah. Um, but after that, I mean, it just went like clockwork. Yep. We had. And then, then taking the cows home were, were, was great too. Like that was a big help because it, it, I've come to the conclusion I'll never bottle feed calves again. I'll never use milk replacer. I, I always want to use real milk if I can get a hold of it. Yeah. So this is going to bring us to another conversation real quick. We're going to kind of divert just a touch. So Sean um, asked me when I got here today, what's the deal with this? Everybody thinking everyone has yonis. <laughs> <laughs> so again, going to Facebook, um, if you've been on there, you've noticed that uh, I know Mike really well. We have conversations often. Mike's really worried about yonis. Um, I think there is some reasoning to be mad, to be worried about it. But on the flip side, I don't know many people or dairies that have it in the herd for one. 
Um, usually it seems like it's down south. It comes a lot. I see it a lot more. It's more prevalent in the Texas, Oklahoma, down that far. It's kind of like, you know, like they have red water and we don't. Yeah. Right. I think that there's some geographic and some, I guess, environmental effects that kind of push it along a little bit too. But here's the deal. Um, if you're worried about the cows that you're getting, say you have to buy a nurse cow. If you go and look at the cows and you're like, wow, those cows really don't look good. That's probably a good indication you shouldn't be buying from there. So for those of you who may not, they see this, well, what's Yoni's? Like, what are we looking at? So Yoni's is, it pretty it has four different stages. Right. So the first stage is, it's just kind of in their blood. You can't test for it. They don't have any tests for it. Uh, there's no cure for it. They typically get this. It, it comes from animals that have shed the bacteria and it's in their manure and the calf nurses on the cow and it it gets that in their system and it, it gets infected. And so it kind of goes, that infection goes for a year or two before it reaches stage two and then it slowly progresses and it's a digestive system that it, right. it affects the, the small intestines. And the cow pretty much, once it gets to stage two, it progresses and then you can start seeing it on some fecal tests and then stage three it's always present in the test. And then stage four, they pretty much wither away and die. And and here's the thing. If you have that problem, you know it. Yeah. Like, it's not one of those problems that are like, oh, there's nothing wrong. Well, why is all my animals dying? Like, it's a progression problem that based on the cow's health and nutrition could be at different stages from the same cows from the same. Like, you have same similar cows. Heck, you could have clones that have a different rate of yonis intake if they're going to get it. Yeah. and it, And it's one of those like if they get older they can kind of get over it um it kind of lays dormant in their system until they finally get up enough but it it is a concern but for the most part um you just need to look at your herds a lot of right. the smaller herds um they don't have those problems it's mostly um as i was looking doing a little research on it about 8% of the beef herds have it in the U.S., and it says 68% of the dairies do. We have to realize that 68% of the dairy numbers are on those mega farms. Mega farms, and they got large numbers. Um, I di- I've only worked on one place that had it, um, and he knew he had it, and he had been dealing with it for the last 10 or 15 years. And so we had to just do extra precautions that we switched gloves in between animals to make sure that we didn't pack manure because that's where it comes from is the manure from one animal to the other. Um, and just it, it's more of just a you treat or you contain it. You, right. you bed down with clean straw. You keep them out of the manure. And, and it goes away. It doesn't go away, but it's manageable at that point. Yeah. And so you, you just... The, the idea is you don't pass it from the carriers to yeah. the offspring. And that's the big one, guys. Like, like with all things, don't, don't take things to an extreme. Do some research. Call some people. Talk to them. If, like, like here's the reality. If I was worried about things like that, um, I would never let my cows go anywhere else but my house. Like, like that's what the reality of how serious some people get in this. I already bring my cows to Sean's place to get collected. So there is no reason I shouldn't be able to take one home that isn't mine. Like, it just doesn't make sense, right? Because these yeah. animals are all together anyway. Yeah. 
And and Sean's dad's always really really big on making sure that animals don't have problems because he lived through the seventies when they're when when the state of Idaho started doing brucellosis testing. Yep. So we went through brucellosis once. Right. So he 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 is like the guy that's on top of that kind of stuff because he's had to deal with it once. Yeah. And he's told me on multiple occasions if we ever get brucellosis again, the whole herd gets a bee on their jaw and headed to the slaughter plant he's never doing it again and to start over <laughs> yeah yeah it's, it's not dealing with those, some of those diseases is just not worth it and so that's one of those one of the things that uh is helping prevent yonis is having something like a closed herd that you're right. if you're always buying and selling animals you're going to have a much greater chance of getting something like that so we only buy from like three herds and they're very specific and they're very, um, they're old breeders and they have a small number and I know everything about their cows and they, they are great people. So we don't buy cows anymore very often because I can make them better than I can buy them. That's why, but then that's why it's hard for us to retain bulls is that my herds are so purpose built that. Um, it's hard to retainable because they're related to everybody. You almost need like three different herds, and yeah, we tried that, and then they all became just one herd again. <laughs> yeah, that, that makes that takes a lot of management. Yep. With as busy as you are, it's hard yeah. to, to um, do that. And it's like David, right? Like, so me and David can manage everything, and my father in law because I'm gone a lot, but they're here, they're farming, they're doing stuff day to day. I talk to them every day. We go through things every day, but really, management um, is key to those things. And we were going to keep multiple herds, like one at David's house, one at my house, one at my father-in-law's. And then we realized that, in, especially in Red Wagyu, there's so few really good bulls that it's almost impossible to do. So that just comes down to you have to know your breeding yep. coefficients and be able to make sure you're, you're not just blanketing everything. So Sean wrote some cool notes on his napkin so that we can <laughs> talk about a few things after the, the sale because I knew we'd forget about it. So we covered the Onis. Yes. What else is on the napkin? So talking about IVF embryos, oh. the calves that are born on a little bit overweight a little? in the, the 120 range. A little? <laughs> so I've, I've had, hauled some of those out of the Holsteins. Yeah. But you're usually a bull calf out of a really big cow, and you're thinking, man, what did we... What did you do there? What did we breed this with? <laughs> so here's here's the thing. A lot of guys lately have been doing a lot of IVF in the Wagyu world. Like it's becoming the number one thing everybody's doing because you can take a five you know a five thousand dollar straw rusha, which is what I heard everybody's paying for it nowadays. I was wrong last week. I was corrected. Somebody told me they sent an email. I paid ten grand, and I'm like, oh, okay, so five to ten grand, perfect. <laughs> um, so uh, you know they're taking a five thousand dollar straw of Master Chef, or they're taking a twenty thousand dollar straw Rusha, and then they're slinging it across a bunch of cows, trying to recoup some costs because they're going to charge anybody who sends their their stuff to them. Because some people are collecting oocytes and shipping them, and then they're using this one straw semen across so many embryos. I I see the benefit. I see the benefit of that to a point. Uh, the point, too, is that I don't like the conception rates. Along with conception rates, there have been multiple times since, well, John, since the last 10 years, that we've seen people try different things to get better conception with their IVF embryos that have caused problems. One of them is growing media. 
So I'm going to let Sean explain some of this because this is his world. (laughs) (laughs) So what they did with oocytes, and as you treat them in a dish, you got to be careful not to like throw them, slam them against the the bottom of the dish. You kind of want to treat them with kid gloves. Um, So we have not figured out how mother nature does it perfectly yet. And so in the process of doing that, um, they have made different mediums. And one of the things that they used to do a lot of is they found that if they dumped a bunch of steroids in the medium, they could get these embryos. So they were as robust and conception rates were as close as they've been to conventional embryos that they've ever been. However, when you, (laughs) it's like uh, men with uh, steroids and you pump them clear full, they, they, they grow and um, I've had on multiple occasions, they've had some calves born that were in the 140 range on Herefords. And they uh, they put five or six of these, em- caught. they were able to get five or six of these calves. They C-sectioned every one of them out of the moms because they were all 140 pounds plus. And we went the next year and they looked at those embryos and they said, heck no, we're not even putting those in. And we will find something different. And they didn't even want to touch them because they knew they had such a, a terrible experience with it. So that that's mainly what they did with it. And so they started pulling that steroid out, trying to reduce the amount. And they're still trying to figure out what's exactly the perfect amount to get that done. So a couple of questions I was asked that I have kind of kept in my brain to ask Sean. One of them is, do you think that once this has been you know, you've created this gigantic calf. What are the odds that a genetic change has happened that will cause him to have big calves? Hmm, I haven't thought about that. Um, I don't think there's too much for him himself to pass on. Um, just for the fact, I think there's, as, as the embryos are growing, it's one of those things like everything's timed perfectly in the cow. So the cow gives them just enough to get up to this size and then it backs everything off. And this calf is just, it's like living, living on adrenaline the whole time. And so it just goes, goes, goes until it finally gets born. I mean, they're still going to have a little residual in the growth, but most of it happens while they're in utero. So any of the big calves I have ever had, like really big calves, and I've had a couple of big Wagyu calves through IVF, they are not my best calf by the time we wean. They start off big. They start off ahead, sometimes double the size. But they're never the best calf at the end. And I've always had problems with tendons. Like they, I feel like they have they have a little bit more issues with their legs because they're so big and they've been kind of crammed in there long. Yeah. Um, and the other issue I've noticed with them, and we've had quite a few, is that um, my cows don't seem to do well with rebreeding afterwards. I feel like they're always that cow that instead of being able to rebreed when we need to, maybe takes that second or third time around or ends up going in with a bull. Yeah. Well, and it it, it can tear stuff up. The, the vulva, it can tear yeah. up uterus and it can cause a lot of damage or and a lot of times with those big ones um sometimes they don't clean out that's usually been the the problem we've had is and we've had to go in and 
make sure they clean well. And sometimes we have to do an I, you know, an IV drip or flush a uterus, which sucks. <laughs> yeah. If you, well, with beef guys, that, yeah. that, you know, dairies we're used to, we walk behind them. Okay. Yeah. She, she needs a little help. And yeah. And, um, I have got to the point now, if we do have a really large calf and then for me, anything over 90 pounds, I say is a little large. Um, a lot of times we'll hit them with some estrimate down the road, a couple weeks down the road, we'll run them through and get them some estrimate just to make sure everything's getting cleaned out. Yeah. So usually a week within seven days. Cause I don't want it. I don't want them to get septic either. So. Yeah. And that, that's an easy thing to tell. Oh yeah. You can't, you can't miss it. The smell is. Yeah. Oof. Bacteria loves a hundred degree weather in a closed environment. It's it, dark it and moist. Well. Yep. Um, another thing like I have noticed is I, I sometimes with them really big calves, I lose them for some reason they don't thrive near as well. So I, I don't know what the reason is probably because we've been calving in January. So we're going to go to warm calving this year. So we're going to see. <laughs> so the hard part's going to be is we're going to be breeding during the hottest part of the year this year. Yeah. So. Well, and what makes it hard to push back to go from a spring calving in January clear till fall is you're really losing a calf crop. We are. And that's why we're splitting the difference, right? It'll yeah. be a multi-year step March backwards. Yeah. But it, it's a, it's a necessary right. thing for, um, well, and we're getting to the point if we calve in September, we're done cutting grain. So we can do it. Yeah. You can get your, few acres of spuds out of the way and yeah 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 we just those are those the reds though we dig those early so but the big thing is too is we still have help we still have the hispanic help here oh, know, yeah. during those times you know they don't go home till the end of october so we can get a good month month and a half with help that'd be weird to have enough help to handle calving season well and <laughs> when you're calving in t-shirts at t-shirts nine o'clock and shorts, at night, yeah sunlight in the day yeah it makes a big difference on. So uh, my Rusha judo cow, um, she had a fall calf along with uh, Jenny. She had a fall calf and I enjoyed it because I got to calve in shorts and t-shirts. <laughs> so yeah, it was a good time in October. It was still warm. It was nice. The calves hit the ground. Good. They got right up. They got going all winter when everybody around me was having some problems and our new babies were having some problems. Them calves were good to go because they were old enough to know how to snuggle and we didn't lose any ears or tails or anything like that. So yeah, and by the time the winter hits in, they're already good size. Yep. They know what food is. They they know where their mom is. They know how to suck. They've had so, a couple of vaccination pro, you yep. know systems go through, so they're they're really well protected for the winter. Yeah. So, you know that's and that's good. Like I think that's one of the things that finally pushed us over the edge. The fact that we lost some really nice calves. So and we've done it this way. I've done this way my whole life. January calving is just what it was. So me moving a whole herd back is a big deal. Yeah. Um, well, and our neighbor, he went from spring calving to fall calving because he had the scours yeah. go through his herd so many times that he's like, I'm just done. I'm done. I'm moving them all to fall. And then he calves out in a great big pasture. They're yeah. all out on grass. He does, yeah. you know, he goes out and tags them and I away can't he even, goes. I can't even think about this. Like we'll be calving on grass Belly deep grass, still in September. Yeah. Man, that'll be so fun. <laughs> in the back of my mind, I'm like, wow, this is going to be great. And then something's going to happen. I'm going to be upset. What else you got over there? Anything good? Because I have one last one if once yours is done. I think that was covered all my, on my list. Sweet. So we're going to talk about 20F real quick. Okay. 
So this is what nobody hears about. Like everybody hears about everybody's successes, right? So I had called Sean a month and a half ago and I go, hey, I found some semen that I'm interested in. I have been for years. I hear it's terrible and it doesn't work. <laughs> and That's what your embryologist loves to yeah, hear. Yeah, yeah. And he goes, okay. <laughs> so we bring 20F in, we get her on protocol and um, we use the semen and we don't even get embryos. <laughs> so so it wasn't the semen's fault this time. It was the protocol's fault. But she's been here a while. Like she, like everybody should know she's been here a while. Yeah. It was her. It should have been her last, go around. Yeah. It should have been her last flush and we were going to bring her home. Yeah. So uh, we had a big dud. I don't I can't blame the semen. So that sucks. And I had Sean put four straws in. <laughs> <laughs> And it and and it's okay. Like the semen's not super expensive because nobody knows about it, but it's kind of a little disappointing, right? So here's the deal. So this is the difference between most people and a really good embryologist, I feel. So Sean went out and found us a new protocol to try. And we're gonna try it. And if it works, we're gonna tell you about it. <laughs> if it doesn't work, we'll still tell you about it, but we won't be near as excited. Well, I've heard from other people that have used it that it's a a pretty good and as I've been thinking about this protocol um it's a it's a variation of what we do already use um but in my mind before I heard someone else was using it I was already thinking about trying it on right two Holstein cows because they've had issues and I've done a variation of this protocol just Hormones in a little bit different order. Right, right. Um, so it takes a little bit longer, but I'm... If it works. If it works, I think it, it'll be great. That, And I don't know if I'll use it all the time, but it, it may be one of those that it, it when, becomes a pretty good staple. Or, or when you run into a cow with a little problem. Yeah. Right. Because like, uh, cows like the D4 cow... When she rolls out 25 to 30 in a flush, there's no sense ever moving, fixing what's, what's not broke. Right. Um, I don't think this protocol is in no way going to break it, but it's one of those that the tried and true wins right. out. And we talked about, me and Sean talked about this today. I go, why, why fix a, uh, it's like having a tire on your trailer that's in perfect shape, but you're going to replace it, but forget to replace the bad one on the other side. There's no reason to. She's working. It's working for us. And then if we have a problem, we can go to this other protocol. It gives us options. Yeah. And and I think it'll... Everything looks like it should right. work. And it. I'm going to have three different cows on that same protocol. And and now I have to decide see. whether we spend more four more straws of red rum just to see if we can do it. <laughs> yeah. And I will like to point out, this is... I think the very first time that you have used sex semen. I don't use sex semen. On a flush. Ever. So that, that was kind of a surprise. All time. Because they didn't have any conventional. That's the uh, only reason. They, did, they, don't, they, don't, they never made any. So, yeah. This is the only time I've ever seen. <laughs> and it will probably be the, la the only sex semen that Sean ever sees me use. Um, I do have some sexed black semen, but we're going to slowly move our way south out of that stuff so but i have it because i don't want to use it because i need bulls i need i need them <laughs> so well when your your bulls are selling just as well as your heifers right there's no reason to 
cut one breed out. Well, and the other thing is they need to keep the restaurant boys happy. So if I don't have bulls, I don't have steers. If I don't have steers, I don't have a meat program. Yeah. So, and I have a harder time killing heifers than I do steers because they're a little smaller, but I think they're great product. But at the same time, some something in the back of my mind sometimes with heifers, I'm like, ugh. So do you spay many heifers? That's what I have to do, actually. You do. So, so what happens is if you are a heifer at our location and you're going, you, you have done something so terrible that you equal, equal out to go to the uh, slaughter facility, we have a guy come spay you so that there's never a chance that somebody... So we had this happen one time. I had some heifers that were bought, were, were not to be bought because they just they just weren't good girls. They had some temperament issues. Mainly they were like stray cats. They like to run everywhere at a thousand miles an hour and it just isn't safe. So I put them in the feedlot pen and then somebody bought a couple out and then took them home because they were going to feed them out. And eat them themselves. Right. And then it turned into a mess. So from here on out, it's probably been our last two years. That is the model. If you are, if you have earned yourself a place in the feedlot and you're a heifer, we have you spayed. And then we don't have cycling. It's been so much better not having cycling heifers in your feedlot. Yeah. Less risk of breaking a leg because something jumped Uh, on them. And they they don't come off feed anymore. So when they cycle, they come off feed. Oh, yeah. So it it got rid of that problem for us too. And it for fifteen dollars a head, it's a win. Yeah. So yeah, we have a guy who shows right up, does it at the feedlot, and out we go. Takes him about 15, 20 minutes an animal and we're out. Yeah. As long as the guy knows what he's doing. Right. Right. We'll have to say that because I have heard of some people that they've gone to spay their heifers and they he comes out and he goes, Well, that one's gonna die a nectar bowel. He's like, Oh, uh-oh. you know, and and after, you know, doing a hundred of them and he nicked two or three of them, he said, well, it didn't, you know, the premium we were going to get for spade heifers just went down the toilet. Just, we just lost it all in the three the cows that died. So, so, and we've got a guy, he's pretty cool. He does it all through, um, what do they call that? Uh, osteoscopes. So he uses an osteoscope, so he doesn't cut things. Oh, pretty good. Pretty good guy. Yeah. I, I like him. He comes yeah. out of, he comes out of Wyoming a couple times a month on our side of the state. So you kind of catch him with a group of people. So yeah. Well, and $15 is pretty reasonable. Right. Price for I, I would pay 30. Yeah. I don't know if I pay much more than 30, but 30 seems reasonable <laughs> to me. I think it's a $30 value because he does three in an hour. That's $90 an hour. The dude's making good money. Yeah. I wish I made $90 an hour. <laughs> I wouldn't be raising cows. <laughs> I wish I made ninety dollars an hour. <laughs> oh man, you'd be you'd be doing good. Um, but but that's those are the things people need to hear. Like like this isn't always a win. Like it, like I've had I've had flushes with the D four that I've brought semen in that I thought was okay, and we've got zero fertilization. Like and she's a big cow to lose that many on because she gives you so many. Yeah, you know. So everybody needs to remember that this isn't just rosies and sunflowers every day. It's it's a business and it's. It's also you're playing with nature, so anything can happen. Well, and I tell people if you are expecting 100% all the time, you haven't done embryo work no. before. Well, and here's the other thing. If you are reliant on having X amount of embryos to make your operation work, um, you're probably in the wrong business. Like if you have to have every single embryo to make your business work, um, you've got some problems. You need to rethink some of the things you're doing because the embryo game can be, you know, a home run or a foul ball real quick. 
And the other thing is, is now you're taking those and you're... The thing that scares me the most about letting the D4 embryos out, do you want to know what it is, Sean? What's that? I fear one day I'm going to have to show against a D4 calf. Competition. I, I fear it because they're hard to beat in the ring because of the way they're built. Well, and after looking at her today, I can... yeah. yeah. And, and that's why I say I, I get awful, awful nervous letting any out because of that. I know one day I'm going to end up at a show somewhere and there's going to be one of these embryos and I'm going to lose and not <laughs> be happy about it. And then I'm going to smile the whole time knowing it's a D4 calf because my acronym's in the breeder. Because <laughs> that's the only way you're getting it. But it's the reality of it. Yeah. Well, and it the, the calves that we got out of the... The ones that I put in, the D4 yeah. Master Chefs, just being born, I haven't seen them much later on. But He's just supposed to come down to the house and look at them. Yeah, I got to go look at them. I've been... It's a 40-minute drive. <laughs> 50. 50. He's got family there, too. That's even better. His wife does anyway. That's what I need to do, just come down one Sunday yeah. and be like, hey, we're going over. Yep. And you can stop, stop right by my house. <laughs> yeah. But looking at those calves, like even when they were born, they look great. And from what I hear, they're they're growing like crazy, but they should. They got they've plenty got, of groceries. They've got all the genetics in the world, and now they have all the feed in the world. So and then they got a mother that loves them. Yep, herds them up, takes care of them, bathes them daily, licks them all over, makes them all feel special, so they're even tempered and good good to be around. And the other thing is, we have to milk these cows still, so these calves are up in your face all the time while you're putting milker on. Like they're getting human socialized very well. That's important. Your your boys racing them down the. Yep, Flash is now beating them by a long ways. <laughs> Probably running circles around. Them. Yeah, he does. He actually runs circles around them. My boys run with them, um, and that's the fun part, right? Like the fun part about having cows on a nurse cow is that the interactions are a little different than if they're on a, a recip cow, because most our recip cows wouldn't let their calf play with the kid. Yeah. And these Holsteins have been around people, so they're like, oh, this is normal. Yeah. They're, uh, they're both halter broke. Oh, yeah. They they came, they went halter broke down there, so I, I know that they're... Yeah, and, and, and as much as I complain about the one, she, that she could be a lot worse. She's just not as friendly as the other one. And that's the big one, right? Like, like she gets a bad rap because she's not as friendly. And I have to remember that just because I expect the D4 cow's friendliness and everything in the world doesn't mean that I get it. Yeah. But on the long run, yeah, she's a oh, a great good cow. Recip. Well, and and, the, and and we'll probably retain both of them. Yeah. And and I think that's a sometimes the devil you know is better than the devil you don't. Right. And, and the one thing too about her is is once we got a set of hobbles on her, she was fine. She stopped kicking at calves. Yeah. Well, and she she was probably coming into her milk right when you took her. Right. And she was just oh, no. sore. C coming into her milk, she was, there was like a half gallon laying on the bottom of the horse trailer when we got home. Come on. But the reality really is, though, is they've never been nursed on either. So now they've got this new experience of these calves nursing on. And the problem is, is that their, their teeth needed to toughened up. That's yeah. the honesty of it. They, they've been dry a little bit longer right. than normal. But, but what's interesting to me is how tough they are now. You can grab them and you can feel they're, they're different than they were when they came to me. 
and they milk better on the milking machine because they're little. It's almost like they got cha- like not chapped, but like a callus starting on them. Like it's oh from the calves nursing all the time. Yeah, and I'm sure with how many calves are in that pen. That oh they- yeah, it's a good time at our house right now, and my kids love it because the and the Holsteins allow the kids to be out with the calves. And you can't ask for a better mom than that, than one that'll let you. The D4 cow, she wouldn't let my boys play with the calves. But she loves my boys, so she'll go lick them by the fence, but she won't let them play with the calf. So it's a different experience. I I really enjoy it. I think that this is going to work good for me because I get to have them in my backyard too. Because, you know, as big as we are, we run range ground, we run irrigated pastures, so the cows aren't always home. And these ones, I've realized they can't forage for themselves, so I have to feed them. Yeah, they're they're <laughs> typical Holsteins. A Holstein will starve to death in belly deep grass. Yeah, yeah. She'd uh, rather have mix or feed. So, yeah. But that's okay as long as you feed them. You as gotta... long as you feed them and don't change their feed. And uh, the, the people who take who care for them for you when you're gone on business trips realize. So, so me and Sean had this conversation. Um, the, the people that take care of it, my wife and the help and, and Lane, when I'm gone, um, I've got them trained so well that they they uh, took their training to an extreme because we went from having just beef cows to now having these dairy cows. And Lane was so scared about killing one from giving it too much grain that their grain ration got reduced a little farther than I would like to see. Uh, little <laughs> yeah yeah we went from like 70 pounds a day of total feed uh we went down to 70 pounds a total day of feed from 90 so <laughs> and that was the grain portion of that, the- yeah yeah because he was so worried about how much grain because the grain's already in the mixed ration and then i was top dressing another 16 to 18 pounds of grain per cow per day and lane thought it was a little extreme <laughs> yeah he needs to be around Holsteins or dairy cows in general. That so, so I just told him, I go, it's like putting regular gas in the Corvette. It don't work. It makes noises and pings and doesn't drive right. So you need premium. So And, and dairy cows have been genetically bred that they typically do not have fat cows. If no. you go to a dairy show... They want railed off. You can almost see, you know, their ribs. You can see their hairline. They want everything that cow is eating to go into her udder and out. And, and I explained to Lane today, especially. I go, Lane, these cows are designed to milk off all of that grain. Yeah. And we're gonna roll them into some corn silage next week. So we're gonna or barley. It's wheat silage. So we're gonna try it. So. Yeah, a couple heads of good experimentation. Yeah, I'll run like 50 pounds of wheat silage with them. We'll see. Give it free choice per day. Oh. See if they even eat it. <laughs> yeah. That'll be the thing is see what they eat. Yeah, and that's the concern with wheat silage. If they they won't eat it, I'll go to corn silage. I've got that at the house too. So Yeah. Well, and the nice thing, what I've heard is these calves, um, Holstein's their favorite thing to do is go to the manger and eat. And all these calves that are nursing on this cow, they have gone to the feed bunk so with her. I have never in my life, and I called Sean one day and asked him about this because it concerned me slightly. I have never had calves this young in the bunk milling around. Ever. Like, it doesn't happen. Um, and every one of these calves, every single day, 
are up at the bunk. They're nibbling on some hay. They're nibbling on some grain. They're nibbling on whatever. But they're up there and they're they're learning to eat like a cow and build a rumen. And that's exciting to me is that I'm getting a faster rumen build on this group. Yeah. And they that grain just, they, they've shown, shown a lot of studies in dairy that getting that grain in there helps develop the papillae. And, right. And so they will gain faster once they get up to that three, four month range because that rumen's going to be ready to absorb all that nutrients. Well, and it's already got the bacteria built up in the flora and the fauna to be able to break some of that down. Yeah. And so they're going to be, when they finally get there, I think they're going to be some very impressive calves when they... Well, and I told somebody the other day, I think I'm going to run them six or seven months on the cow until the next group comes. Um, and then they're going to go over to the feedlot and live at the feedlot for a little while. Oh, yeah, I think they're going to be some yep <laughs> big big girls, big and, boys, and, and they're going to be great. And I'm I'm excited that that I have more of them coming and more things what we're doing. So, what I'm going to do is is we're going to leave you with that and enjoy your rest of your week. I hope you decide to buy a few embryos, and um, if you need anything, just send me an email. That'll work for another episode of What's New and Wagyu. Hey, homecoming queen, why do you lie when somebody's mean? Where do you hide? Do people assume you're always alright? Been so good at smiling most of your life. Look damn good in the dress, zipping up the mess, dancing with your best foot forward. Does it get hard? To have to play the part Nobody's feeling sorry for you But what if I told you the world wouldn't end If you started showing what's under your skin What if you let them all in on the lie Even the homecoming queen cries your daddy teach you how to act tough or more like your mama sweep it under the rug look down good in the dress zipping up the mess dancing with your best foot forward did you want the crown or does it weigh you down nobody's feeling sorry Somebody's mean 
Where do you hide?